0: Section 6 of Historic Waterways, 600 Miles of Canoeing Down the Rock, Fox, and Wisconsin Rivers, by Reuben Gold Thwaites. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Historic Waterways, Six Hundred Miles of Canoeing Down the Rock, Fox, and Wisconsin Rivers by Reuben Gold Thwaites The Rock River, Chapter Four, The Halfway House The spin down to Roscoe next morning was delightful in every respect. The air was just sharp enough for vigorous exercise. These were the pleasantest hours we had yet spent. The blisters that had troubled us for the first three days were hardening into callosities, and arm and back muscles, which at first were sore from the unusually heavy strain upon them, at last were strengthened to their work. Thereafter we felt no physical inconvenience from our self-imposed task. At night, after a pull of eleven or twelve hours, relieved only by the time spent in lunching, in which we hourly alternated at the oars and paddle, slumber came as a most welcome visitation while the morning ever found us as fresh as at the start let those afflicted with insomnia try this sort of life my word for it they will not be troubled so long as the canoeing continues every muscle of the body moves responsive to each pull of the oars or sweep of the paddle while the mental faculties are kept continually on the alert watching for shallows, snags, and rapids in which operation a few days' experience will render one quite expert, though none the less cautious. As we get farther down into the Illinois country, the herds of livestock increase in size and number. Cattle may be seen by hundreds at one view, dotted all over the neighboring hills and meadows, or dreamily standing in the cooling stream at sultry noonday. Sheep in immense flocks bleat in deafening unison, the ewes and their young being particularly demonstrative at our appearance, and sometimes excitedly following us along the banks. Droves of black hogs and shoats are ploughing the sward in their search for sweet roots, or lying half-buried in the wet sand. Horses in familiar groups quickly lift their heads in startled wonder as the canopied canoe glides silently by then suddenly wheel kick up their heels sound a snort of alarm and dash off at a thundering gallop clods of turf filling the air behind them there are charming groves and parks and treeless downs and the river cuts through the alluvial soil to a depth of eight and ten feet throwing up broad beaches on either side at roscoe three or four miles below our morning starting point there is a collection of three or four neat farmhouses each with its spinning windmill. Latham Station, nine miles below Rockton, was reached at ten o'clock. The post office is called Owen. There is a smart little depot on the Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Paul railway line, two general stores, and a half-dozen cottages with a substantial-looking creamery, where we obtained buttermilk drawn fresh from one of the mammoth churns. The concern manufactures from three hundred to nine hundred pounds per day according to the season shipping chiefly to new york city leaning over the handrail which fences off the making room and gossiping with the young man in charge i conjured up visions of the days when as a boy on the farm i used to spend many weary almost tearful hours pounding an old crock churn in which the butter would always act like a bulky horse and refused to come until after a long series of experimental coaxing. Nowadays rustic youths luxuriously ride behind the plough, the harrow, the cultivator, the horse-rake, the hay-loader, and the self-binding harvester, while the butter-making is farmed out to a factory where the thing is done by steam. The farmer's boy of the future will live in a world darkened only by the frown of the district schoolmaster, and the intermittent round of stable chores. Fare foot passenger ten cents, man and horse fifteen cents, single carriage ten cents, double carriage fifteen cents, each passenger five cents. Night rates double fare. All persons are cautioned against using this boat without permission from the owners at latham station we encountered the first ferry-boat on our trip a flat-bottomed scow with side-rails attached by ropes and pulleys to a suspended wire cable and working diagonally with the force of the current a sign conspicuously displayed on the craft bore the above legend from the time we had entered illinois the large graceful white blossoms of the pennsylvanian anemone and the pink and white fringe of the erigeron canadense had appeared in great abundance upon the river banks while the wild prairie rose lent a delicate beauty and fragrance to the scene on sandy knolls where in early spring the anemone pattens and crowfoot violets had thrived in profusion were now to be seen the geum triflorum and the showy yellow the long-flowered pecoon with its delicate pale yellow crape-like blossom was just putting in an appearance and little white star-shaped flowers which were strangers to us of wisconsin fairly dotted the green hillsides mingled in striking contrast with dwarf blue mint bevies of great black crows sitting in the tops of dead willow trees or circling around them rent the air with sepulchral squawks men and boys were cultivating in the cornfields, the prevalent drought painfully evidenced by the clouds of grey dust, which enveloped them and their teams as they stirred up the brittle earth. There was now a fine breeze astern, and the awning, abandoned during the headwinds of the day before, was again welcomed as the sun mounted to the zenith. At 2.30 p.m. we were in busy Rockford, where the banks are twenty or twenty-five feet high, with rolling prairies stretching backward to the horizon, except where here and there a wooded ridge intervenes. Rockford is the metropolis of the valley of the rock. It has 22,000 inhabitants, with many elegant mansions visible from the river, and evidences upon every hand of that prosperity which usually follows in the train of varied manufacturing enterprises. There are numerous mills and factories along both sides of the river, and a protracted inspection of the portage facilities was necessary before we could decide on which bank to make our carry. The right was chosen. The portage was somewhat over two ordinary city blocks in length. Up a steep incline and through a roadway tunnel, under a great flowering mill, We had made nearly half the distance and were resting for a moment when a mill-driver kindly offered the use of his wagon, which was gratefully accepted. We were soon spinning down the tail of the race, a half-dozen millers waving a Chautauqua salute with as many dusty flour-bags, and in ten minutes more had left Rockford out of sight. Several miles below there are a half-dozen forested islands in a bunch, some of them four or five acres in extent. And we puzzled over which channel to take, the best of them abounding in shallows. The one down which the current seemed to set the strongest was selected, but we had not proceeded over half a mile before the trees on the banks began to meet in arches overhead, and it was evident that we were ascending a tributary. It proved to be the Cherry River emptying into the main stream from the east the wind now almost due west had driven the waves into the mouth of the cherry so that we mistook this surface movement for the current coming to a railway bridge which we knew from our map did not cross the rock our course was retraced and after some difficulty with snags and gravel spits we were once more upon our proper highway trending to the southwest supper was eaten upon the edge of a large island several miles farther downstream, in the shade of two wide-spreading locusts opposite are some fine eroded sandstone palisades which formation had been frequently met with during the day sometimes on both sides of the river but generally on the left bank which is as a rule the most picturesque along the entire course It was still so cold when evening shadows thickened that camping out, with our meagre preparations for it, seemed impracticable, so we pushed on and kept a sharp lookout for some friendly farmhouse at which to quarter for the night. The houses in the thickly wooded bottoms, however, were generally quite forbidding in appearance, and the sun had gone down before we sighted a well-built stone dwelling amid a clump of graceful evergreens. It seemed from the river to be the very embodiment of comfortable neatness, but upon ascending the gentle slope, and fighting off two or three mangy curs which came snarling at our heels, we found the structure merely a relic of gentility. There was scarcely a whole pane of glass in the house. There were eight or ten wretchedly dirty and ragged children. The parents were repulsive in appearance and manner. And a glimpse of the interior presented a picture of squalor which would have shocked a city missionary. The stately stone house was a den of the most abject and shiftless poverty, the like of which one could seldom see in the slums of a metropolis. These people were in the midst of a splendid farming country, had an abundance of pure air and water at command, and there seemed to be no excuse for their condition. DRINK AND LAZINESS WERE DOUBTLESS THE BESETTING SINS IN THIS UNCANNY HOME. MAKING A PRETENCE OF INQUIRING THE DISTANCE TO BYRON, THE NEXT VILLAGE BELOW, WE HURRIED FROM THE ACCURSED SPOT. A HALF-HOUR LATER WE REACHED THE HIGH BRIDGE OF THE CHICAGO, MILWAUKEE, AND ST. PAUL RAILWAY ABOVE BYRON, AND RAN OUR BOW ON A LITTLE BEACH AT THE BASE OF THE LEFT BANK, WHICH IS HERE THIRTY FEET HIGH. A section man had a little cabin hard by, and his gaunt, talkative wife, with a chubby little boy by her side, had been keenly watching our approach from her garden fence. She greeted us with a shrill but cheery voice as we clambered up a zigzag path, and joined her upon the edge of the prairie. "'Good evening, folks. Where on earth do you come from?' We enlightened her in a few words. "'Don't mean to say you come all the way from Wisconsin-a down here in that thing.' pointing down at the canoe, which certainly looked quite small, at that depth, in the dim twilight. Certainly, why not? You'll get drownded, and I'm not mistaken, afore you get to Byron. River Dangerous, ma'am? Dangerous ain't no name for it. There was a young feller drownded at this here bridge last spring. The young feller, he worked at the bridge mendin' bein' a carpenter. He called himself a carpenter, but he warn't no great fist at carpenterin', and I know it and he boarded up at byron insurance agent kim long and got rollins the young feller his name was abe rollins and he was a batch to promise to sure his life for a thousand dollars which was to go to his sister what takes in washin and her man ran away from her last year and nobody knows where he is which i says is good riddance but she takes on as though she would lost somebody worth crying over there's no countin for tastes the agent says to Rollins to go over to the doctor's office to get examined and Rollins says no, I ain't goin to go to get examined till I clean off. I'll go down and take a swim at the bridge and then come back and strip for the doctor. And Rollins he took his swim and got sucked down in a hole just yonder down there by the openin of Stillman's Creek and he was a corpse when they hauled him out down off Byron and he never hollered once but just sank like a stone with a cramp and his folks never got no insurance money at all for lackin the doctor's certificate and it's heaps of folks get drownded in this river and nobody ever hears of em again and i wouldn't no more step foot in that boat nor the biggest ship on the sea and i don't see how you can do it ma'am no doubt the good woman would have rattled on after this fashion for half the night but we felt obliged owing to the rapidly increasing darkness to interrupt her with geographical inquiries she assured us that byron was distant some five or six miles by river with so far as she had heard many shallows whirlpools and snags and route while by land the village was but a mile and a quarter across the prairie from the bridge we accordingly made fast for the night where we had landed placed our heaviest baggage in the tidy kitchen sitting-room parlor of our voluble friend and trudged off over the fields to byron a solitary light in a window and the occasional practice note of a brass band Born to us on the light western breeze being our only guides after a deal of stumbling over a rough and ill-defined path which we could distinguish by the sense of feeling alone we finally reached the exceedingly quiet little village and by dint of inquiry from house to house in most of which the denizens seemed preparing to retire for the night found the inn which had been recommended by the section man's wife as the best in town it was the only one there were several commercial travelers in the place and the hostelry was filled but the landlord kindly surrendered to us his own well-appointed chamber above an empty store where the village band was tuning up for decoration day it seemed appropriate enough that there should be music to greet us for we were now one hundred and thirty-four miles from Madison and practically half through our voyage to the Mississippi End of chapter four. The Halfway House. Recording by Pamela Krantz.